Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and welcome to episode 117. So I am here on Monday, February 15th, 2021, recording this episode, and I hope you had a good, good weekend. So I'm inspired to do this episode um, because I have started to see clients one-on-one in my new space. Uh, For those of you who have listened to some of my recent episodes, I moved in uh, January to a new place that has a physical space, a completely separate physical space in uh, in the place for me to see students one-on-one or maybe two at a time, that would be the most. And given kind of where we're at with the pandemic, although I would say um, we're going and definitely trending in the right direction in terms of positivity rate, incidence rate, vaccination rate, we are still in a time where I think the public's tolerance for practicing yoga in, uh, in a public space might be somewhat tentative. And um, as I've said before, and I went into this um, quite a bit in episode 114, which was all about teaching private students, um, I think people are going to be more inclined to go to one-on-one sessions, at least for right now. And so I would definitely say to, um, to teachers out there, don't be shy about putting uh, the word out that you Uh, are seeing students one-on-one. And um, you can go back to that episode 114 if you want, just a lot of ideas around how to structure your offer uh, for private yoga sessions. I think for right now, especially, it's a great, great bridge uh, for people to get them back into the studio to supplement their home practice, which, I mean, let's face it, home practice is great, Um, however, I think at this stage of the game, people doing things at home for fitness is probably getting a little tiring for them. So getting out of their house to take a private yoga session is probably an investment that they're, you know, definitely willing to do. So what I wanted to do, you know, part of why I'm inspired to, to go into this particular episode and the the content for this episode is because. Uh, a number of the students that I'm seeing are coming to one-on-one sessions because they are dealing with some sort of injury Uh, and they're using yoga as a tool to either rehab that injury or it's something more chronic and they're using yoga as a tool to manage kind of the ongoing symptoms of their illness or injury or condition. And so I wanted to go into a little bit of detail around how you would structure and what kinds of things you should consider if you're seeing someone one-on-one in private sessions uh, and they are coming back to yoga from an injury. This also would apply if you are teaching public classes and you know, hopefully in the near future, we'll all be back to teaching public classes. And someone comes up to you and before class, they mentioned that they're just coming back to yoga um, from an injury. So 
to, to some extent, what we go over in today's episode, will also touch on, you know, that particular scenario. Now, you know, even though I'm not going to be talking in this episode about anatomy specifically, right? Like some of these episodes have about, have been about anatomy of the hip or the shoulder, or I've gone into different, you know, different aspects of anatomy. This, you know, concept of, or this skill of being able to teach students privately who are coming to yoga from an injury is, is predicated on understanding anatomy. Now, having said that, I want you to keep in mind, you know, when you understand anatomy um, at a particular level, and I'll go into a little bit about what I mean by that, um, you are able to work with people, even if you don't understand at a detail level, what their specific injury is. Um, And that's because you understand broad concepts of human movement. You know, those things don't change. Um, It's not necessary per se for me to know exactly the particular disc that's injured in your lumbar spine and the nerve that's involved for me to be able to treat, uh, I'm sorry, not treat, for me to be able to create an appropriate sequence for you. Um, It would be helpful for me to know that. However, I can get at what your um, clinical condition is, even if I don't understand it on the clinical side by asking you questions about how it affects your function. And I want you to keep that in mind. You know, as yoga teachers, I think oftentimes we get into this fear that someone's going to ask us a question about their particular situation. And it's going to be a condition or an injury or a part of the body, a bone, a muscle, a joint, whatever it is that we don't know about. And I want to kind of flip that scenario on its head to a certain extent and, and give you another frame of reference. And that is, you know, if you understand broad concepts of anatomy, and if you understand key functional um, issues and movements that people need to make in order to have healthy range of motion, you can ask a lot of questions that will get at how does that injury affect their functional movement? And that will inform the kind of sequencing, the kinds of poses that you come up with. Even if you don't literally know the nerve that's impacted, the, the you know, specific disc that's impacted, you know, I would, I would hope you'd at least know that though, because, you know, you, you really need on a basic level to know how many vertebrae are in the back and a little bit about the structure of each of the discs. And, you know, you definitely need to know that. However, you know, when it comes to specific, let's say a ligament in the knee, if you weren't super familiar with the placement of the medial collateral ligament, if you understood basic concepts of human movement and what specific questions to ask a student to help clarify how their injury is impacting their functional movement, that would be fine. That would actually be better than a lot of people, teachers, in terms of an approach to working with someone. And, you know, I want to point out, you know, that's, that is in large part why I teach what I teach when I teach teachers anatomy. I don't go down a ton of rabbit holes. I stay high level and go into detail in a very specific way, only in areas where I know that specific knowledge is necessary. And so that's one of the things that makes the way I teach anatomy different from other uh, teachers. And I really think that that approach will set you up for success and more confidence when you're faced with a lot of different situations. Because let's face it, you know, unless you have all the time and money in the world, you can't possibly learn every single thing about the body. However, if I can teach you broad concepts on top of the key information you need to know, then you're really set up to handle many different scenarios, much more than if I approached 
teaching you anatomy from the perspective of, I have to teach this person everything about the body from head to toe. We just would not have enough time. You wouldn't have enough tolerance for it. So that's why, you know, I decided a long time ago to really create my own way of presenting anatomy to teachers. And, um, and that's why my students really, you know, have success in my program because I'm not going into every little detail. They have the tolerance for it. They stick with it. They graduate from the program. They leave great reviews and they feel like their confidence has gone up and, and that's why it works. So today, what I want to do is I want to share some of these high level concepts with you. So I want to kind of give you this knowledge as a taste of not only what's in my program, but as a taste of, you know, this is how you can approach working with someone privately who is um, coming to you for yoga, because let's face it right now, you know, to a certain extent, let's say you're a teacher who has lost a significant amount of income because you're not teaching public classes, you really could start to create an income stream by seeing people one-on-one. -on -one. But if you're too freaked out to see people one-on-one -on -one because you're worried about seeing a client who's got a specific injury, you've really got some work to do to shore up, shore up your knowledge so that you can see people one-on-one -on -one and renew that and revive that income stream. And even more so, we haven't even talked about all the joys of working with students one-on-one -on -one that are somewhat different than working with people in group classes. I mean, when you work with students one-on-one, -on -one, you really get to track progress. You really get to set measurable goals. You really set, get to set measurable criteria by which the student can evaluate their progress. And so, you know, as a, as a teacher, there's just the reward of being able to work with one person, which is, you know, I can remember many years ago, not even really many, maybe like four or five years ago, I kind of got to a point where I only wanted to see people privately because I felt like I really couldn't help people in group classes the way they needed to be helped. And then I decided after several months of being really frustrated in my group teaching, the issue wasn't that. The issue was me. I really needed to refine how I was cueing so that it was more transferable to more people, regardless of the variance between people in my classes. And so that was really kind of a, an eye-opening experience for me as a teacher where, you know, I don't know about you, if you've ever found yourself getting frustrated in your teaching, you know, the actual process of teaching, and sometimes you feel like you start to resent it, you know, take a step back and see, is there a way to reframe it? And is there something that you could be doing differently to reframe the situation? And, you know, sometimes you just have to ask yourself a better question. You know, if you're finding yourself stuck, you know, ask yourself, you know, why am I feeling stuck? What's, what's really the issue here? Is there another way that I can be helpful? Is there another way that I can approach this? And, just be non-judgmental towards yourself as a teacher. Don't beat yourself up and just kind of keep coming at it from different perspectives and you'll eventually land upon something like I did, you know, where I had to kind of admit, you know, hey, it's not them. It's not the practice. It's not the modality of teaching people in groups. It's that I need to change how I'm instructing them. I need to change what I am saying. Because let's face it, friends, as teachers, they are not speaking back to us. We are simply speaking to them. So what are the main vehicles that we have to share what we know and what we want them to do? We have the cues and then we have the sequence. Those are the two modalities under the big umbrella of the practice. And so if your cues aren't, if your cues are missing the mark, that's, I mean, that's like a huge part of your teaching that's not landing effectively on your students. And no wonder I was getting frustrated. I'm sure some of my students were getting frustrated and it really needed a, a different look. And so, you know, that's really, that whole experience for me really is what spurned me on to create my own um, framework for queuing. And so for those of you who have watched my uh, free webinar on cues, I always say there are four kinds of cues. There's action cues, alignment cues, anatomy-based cues, and feeling-based cues. 
And once as a teacher, you start to really frame your cues in one of those categories as you're giving them, it gives you all sorts of freedom around how you're going to teach, what you're going to present, why you're going to present it. It gives you flexibility around, you know, I'm going into this particular class. This is how I want to approach the cueing. Or in the moment, you can flip from teaching, you know, from action to teaching from alignment. It all of a sudden redefines what your purpose is as you're teaching and your intention. And it can be really specific. If you've got a group of beginners, maybe you're going to teach just action cues. If you've got, you know, a class where you really feel like the flow is going well, maybe you lean a little more after you get them going on anatomy-based cues because you can feel and sense that they're really, really present and they can handle it. So, you know, having said all that, the ability to work with people privately um, and especially after they've been injured is a huge opportunity for us as teachers to really be part of someone's um, growth and development, uh, healing, and, you know, also in a way to really help them kind of cultivate this sense of being compassionate towards their body when they are in a healing process. And that can be very difficult, especially if you're working with athletes, uh, high achievers, type A personality types, you know, people who are type A at work and then they're weekend warriors and they get hurt and they just beat themselves up. I mean, part of our role as a teacher is to look for those signs you know, of our students being too hard on themselves, almost like they're talking about their body in a separate way. I wish my, this was better. Or I wish my, that was better. Or I wish this part of my body wasn't, you know, when you start to hear that languaging, I'm not saying be their therapist, but I'm saying it's a chance for you to reflect back and to encourage them, even if it's nothing that you literally say to them, but maybe that's a, um, a, the catalyst to you doing some restorative poses, doing some pranayama work with them, doing some, you know, uh, guided journaling exercise or meditation, something that, you know, allows them to bring more compassion into the process rather than having it all be just straight, you know, rehab for this injury. So having said all that, I want to go into what are some tips for working with private students? And I'm going to tell you right out of the gate, um, this is a PDF that you can download for free. So as you're listening to this, don't worry about taking notes. Uh, you're probably listening to it on a walk or driving in the car. You can't take notes anyway, but guess what? I've got you covered because after you listen to this, you're going to go to my website, barebonesyoga.com. You're going to go to the podcast page and look at this episode and you're going to see the link to this downloadable PDF. And then you're all set. You're going to download it. You're going to print it out. You're going to have it as a list that you can refer to. And if that still sounds too complicated, would you just send me a DM on Instagram and I will email you the, um, the download. So here we go. So tips for working with a private yoga student after surgery or injury. So sometimes you may get a request to work with a student one-on-one -on -one in a private session, and they may be returning to yoga after an injury or perhaps just had surgery. So here are some suggestions. So number one, this goes without saying, make sure your yoga insurance is up to date. Do not be teaching without insurance ever. This is liability insurance. It covers you in the event someone files a lawsuit against you claiming that you injured them or you made their injury worse, something along those lines. Now, having said that, I have absolutely never heard of anybody being sued. Um, there was actually one instance I did hear about, but it had something to do with at a studio in Manhattan, somebody did a handstand in a class and they knocked into the window and the window broke and people on the street got hit with the glass. I don't think even in that instance, it was a case against the teacher. I think it was a, a, a case filed against the studio. So that doesn't even fall under the teacher's insurance policy. Anyway, not my area of expertise beyond just basically what I know about claims. Um, and I would just say in general, for purposes of this conversation, you're going to have insurance up to date and, and that that covers you in as much as it can. It's no guarantee, but the risk is, is pretty low. I, I just have not heard of a lot of cases of teachers getting sued. So having said that, the next thing is have the client sign your release form at the time of the session. So you need to have a release form when you see people one-on-one -on -one in your house, 
just like if someone were to go to a studio and they were asked to sign a release when they arrive at the front desk, or they are asked to sign a release online when they register online, you need to have your own release that basically is some form of insulation to you as a teacher should someone get hurt and try to pin it on you. Um, in terms of languaging for release forms, you know, you can find general languaging online for these kinds of things. If you want to even, um, you can even just kind of Google yoga studio release form. I'm sure you'll get some languaging. It's a pretty standard form. You've probably signed plenty of these forms as you've gone through your life, going to studios and signing forms. So, um, so that's just going to be something you're going to have. I have a clipboard in my house with a bunch of these forms. So it's very much like when you go to a studio, the person comes to my home. Uh, one of the first things I have them do is sign that form. Now, before the session, before accepting the client, here are some things I want you to consider. Number one, be sure the client has been cleared by their doctor to practice yoga. Be sure this clearance specifically included yoga and not just something like return to normal activities or cleared for light activities. Light activities, as you know, is quite different than 60 minutes of power yoga or 60 minutes of functional movement, right? So you want to be sure that this person has talked to their doctor about, hey, I want to do yoga. Do you think at this point it's okay? And, you know, further, I would even have them say, I want to do X type of yoga. So restorative yoga, functional movement yoga, power yoga, heated yoga, a private session, a group class, an online class, have your potential client be as specific as possible with their doctor uh, and get that clearance. So that's definitely something you want to do. Now, the next thing is consider your knowledge of the client as a practitioner prior to injury. And if you've never met the client, you'll have no baseline understanding of their normal patterns of movement. So if that's the case, consider offering the client a chance to meet in an open yoga class and modify as they see fit. If they feel unable to practice in a general open yoga class, be sure you feel able to meet their needs one-on-one -on -one before accepting the referral. So if you get a call out of the blue from somebody or you put feelers out or email your list or post it on your Facebook page, hey, I'm... Um, I'm accepting private clients and you get contacted by somebody that you have never seen in one of your public classes. Let's say before COVID shut down your local studio where you taught, you don't know this person at all. Um, you want to, you know, number one, acknowledge that in your head, I've got no baseline of what this person move, person's movement patterns are. If you do have, um, uh, a scenario right now where you are teaching public classes, maybe say to that student, hey, before we work one-on-one -on -one together, would you feel able or would you be open to just coming to my class? We can meet, you can take my public class. And then from there, you know, it is a little bit, you know, I think it is a little bit of a mismatch. Someone's calling you for private yoga and you're deferring and saying, come to my public class. So you're going to need to kind of feel that out if that's appropriate. The idea though is, for you to get some sense of this person's movement patterns before you do one-on-one -on -one with them. Now, would there be anything that the person would display that would make you say, no, this is not appropriate? Probably not. Um, however, it's just, you know, I think from a high level perspective, I just want you to acknowledge something that's somewhat obvious, which is if you don't know that person at all, then it really means that that first session is going to be really diluted. It's going to be really regressed in terms of what you're going to have them do because you have no baseline information either prior to injury about how their movement is or even post-injury what their movement patterns are like. So you just want to factor that in. If it's someone that you know, someone that was coming to your public classes and now they're like, hey, since the studio's closed, let me just come to you for privates. You've already got a well-established baseline of knowledge of them and that obviously makes your approach a little different. Now, next thing, include in the screening a discussion about their diagnosis. So when I say a screening, this is before you even are seeing them for the actual session. This is you either through email, although I wouldn't do it through email, I would call them on the phone after they um, reach out to you and express an interest. I would get them on the phone and talk to them on the phone about why they want to come to a private yoga session, what their injury is, that kind of thing. So in this screening, 
include a discussion about their diagnoses and determine if it's something you're familiar with in terms of its impact on movement. So if somebody says to you they have rheumatoid arthritis, or they have scoliosis, or they have Lyme disease, or they have um, psoriasis, you know, there's lots like psoriasis is a skin condition. It's an immune, I believe it's an immune system disorder at the end of the day, but it can affect joint mobility, right? So let's say somebody calls you and they're like, Hey, I have psoriasis and I want to start private yoga sessions. My doctor thought it'd be a good idea to keep my mobility up. And you're thinking in your head, I have no idea what psoriasis is. I think it's a skin condition. How does it affect mobility, right? You're obviously going to want to do some, you know, brushing up on the background of that. But number one, what a perfect opportunity to do that and expand your knowledge. And number two, back to what I said at the beginning, if you understand broad concepts about human movement, then you don't need to worry that you're not an expert in psoriasis because guess what? You understand broad concepts of how bodies move and you have a really good baseline knowledge of anatomy. So you're gonna be able to work with that student. Now, if you're listening to me right now and you're thinking, I don't have a broad understanding of human movement principles and I don't have a good foundational knowledge of anatomy, you just need to get on my wait list for my blueprint learning program and I will help you through your enrollment in that program, build your knowledge of anatomy. So if you're ready to make that next step and shore up the knowledge that is lacking, then just get on the wait list. And the next time I open enrollment, it's, it's done, right? You'll be taking right action. Um, and if it's not my program, look for somebody else's program, right? Just do what you need to do instead of kind of now hearing all this and thinking, oh, doors are closing again. I'm not gonna be able to do this. I don't know enough about anatomy. Stop making excuses. Go get the knowledge that you need to get. But I promise you friends, if you just look to some general 300 hour program, 500 hour program, that those programs are not just on anatomy, which is why you'll get great knowledge potentially. However, you might not get really great anatomy knowledge specifically because those programs are general programs. You need, if you're looking to build your knowledge in anatomy, you need an anatomy only learning program. Okay, having said all that, include in the, include in the discussion, in the screening, a discussion about their diagnoses, determine if it's something you're familiar with in terms of its impact on movement. So that's kind of like you either understand it or you don't. The next thing, ask if the client is still seeing their physician for follow-up, and if so, how often? This is important, right? Did they just get released? Um, or have they already gone to two or three follow-up visits with their doctor post-surgery or post kind of acute phase of the injury? And now they're ready to start to embark upon their own kind of home-based rehab program. So that's important to know. Find out if the client is in physical or occupational therapy, PT or OT. So OT typically comes up when someone has like an injury to the hand, for instance. So let's say carpal tunnel. Although I would say sometimes physical therapists see patients with, with carpal tunnel. Um, but generally speaking, PT is more gross motor movement. OT is more fine-tuned movement. So if somebody had a finger injury, something like that. Again, I don't know literally where the line of demarcation is, but be that as it may, the point of this point <laughs> is that you want to find out if they're still seeing someone in that rehab team bucket category. So if yes, find out what kinds of exercises they're doing, because guess what? So many yoga poses can recreate the same focus of what they're doing in PT and how amazing that would be that they go to PT three times a week, they come to you one time a week, you reinforce the movement patterns that those PT exercises are designed to do. And now that person has three or four sessions a week of guided movement that's part of a rehab program. Then you're part of a rehab program. How amazing is that? right? That to me, I mean, I started out going to BU. I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. And after two and a half years in that program, I switched to rehab counseling so I could do what I thought I ultimately wanted to do, which is be a clinical social worker. I ended up doing that for a little bit and didn't continue. And that's kind of a whole other story. I ended more on the business side of healthcare. The point is though, 
physical therapy and occupational therapy and yoga teaching, it's all movement focused. And so you as a teacher, yoga teacher is an important part of a rehab team for people who are seeing a PT, seeing you, you know, now you're part of this treatment plan. It's really, really, um, I think for, for teachers, it can be a really rewarding thing to be part of a team approach to helping someone uh, to recovery. The next thing, ask how they feel when doing activities of daily living, things like, right? So in, in the rehab world, we call it ADL, activities of daily living. So think about ADLs, uh, ADLs are anything they're doing in the course of a day, getting at, that would involve movement, right? Because we have our movement hat on. So this is getting out of bed, sleeping, i.e. lying on their backs, lying on their sides, lying on their belly, driving, reaching for objects, standing at the sink, brushing their teeth, I will tell you, friends, these days, my lower back is bugging me. So when I get up and stand at the sink to brush my teeth, sometimes I have to brace myself with my other hand. Not so great. <laughs> um, blow drying their hair. If they're having limitations, ask them to reconsider starting at this time. Or I would just say, just be aware of those and, and be aware of them to the extent that you're going to modify what you or you're going to accommodate what you offer them given what they've told you is problematic in their ADL uh, activities. So if they say to you, bending down to get the dog bowl to feed the dog is painful for the low back, well, you're probably not going to have them do a lot of full sun salutations because guess what? That's a lot of reaching up and then bending down. So that's a really good example uh, of why you would just exclude something in your sequencing for someone who gave you that kind of feedback around something in their ADLs that is problematic for them. The next thing is find out if they have tried any other kind of exercise, including walking and find out how their body reacted to that activity. So that's a good way for you to kind of gauge what else have they tried and when uh, was it, you know, recently or not, what's been, you know, the body's response. Did they have pain within a couple hours of the next day? Did they have increased swelling at the side of the injury? Did they have limited range of motion, more range of motion? Was it the kind of thing where they felt much better? You know, as much info as you can get, uh, about that will be helpful. All right. So now that you've done all of that, now we're going to take a look at what's going to happen in the actual session. And remember friends, uh, don't take notes. Don't worry about all this detail. You're going to just go to my website after this, um, after this episode, barebonesyoga.com. You're going to go to the podcast page. You're going to go to this episode. You're going to see the link to the download that I am literally reading to you from, and then you'll print it out and you'll have it as a reference. And, you know, this is part of the, the service of this podcast is not just for me to you know, share the content, but to also give you actual literal resources that you can use to grow as a teacher. So don't forget after this episode to download the PDF that goes with it. So at the first session, you're going to start the client in a position where they are not load bearing, they are not weight bearing, or you are basically eliminating gravity as much as you can, because let's face it, and this gets into some of the anatomy, anatomy, um, um, Gravity is always a force working upon the body, but depending on your relationship to gravity, it can be, you know, more or less strenuous for you to deal with it as a force on the body. So if you swan dive forward with your arms out wide, gravity is really impacting your low back as you fold and get about halfway into hip flexion. However, if you reach up to the sky, bring your hands together and bring your hands through your heart center as you bow. And additionally, as you, if you bend your knees a little bit, now you're working with gravity and the impact on your low back is way less. So that's just a really simple example of how you can, as a teacher, shift the impact of gravity as people go through sun salutations by simply cutting out that swan dive and instead doing it in a way that's much more kind to the lower back musculature and the discs in particular. So in terms of gravity and its effect on the body, when you see this student for the first time in this one-on-one -on -one session, you want to start him in a position where they're not load bearing. Things like plank, tabletop, and down dog might be too much depending on their injury. And remember, 
If anybody has any kind of head injury or migraines or tinnitus or dizziness or high blood pressure, down dogs an inversion, hanging and ragdoll is an inversion. Things where their head is lower than their heart could be problematic for them. Right now I'm dealing with a, a tooth issue. I actually need to get a tooth extracted on Friday, fun times, and it's affecting my sinuses, but not to the extent where it's giving me any pain when I hang upside down. But let's say you were seeing somebody who recently had a tooth extracted. Not, that's not really a typical injury. Or they had a sinus problem, or they had migraines, or they had what's called orthostatic hypertension, where their blood pressure goes up and down depending on their relationship to gravity. So maybe they lie in bed and their blood pressure is fine. As soon as they stand up to get up in the morning, their blood pressure takes a, a big drop. That's orthostatic hypotension, right? So again, any of those things you want to keep in mind, inversions can be um, problematic. Having said that, this general topic we're talking about, starting the client in a position where they're not load-bearing, things like plank, tabletop, and down dog might be too much. Think of positions on the back, on the belly, or sitting in chair or standing up as a place from which to start to assess simple movements. So these movements might include reach the arms out and up and back down to the sides. Lean one way and lean to the other. Bend the knees and sit down a bit as if coming into chair pose. You know, you may hear this and think, oh my God, this sounds so simple. Who the heck's going to want to do that? But keep in mind, especially if you've never met this person before, you need to assess their movement. You know, I also have a couple of certifications in the personal training world. And I share that, you know, to basically pull in what I know in the personal from the personal training world. And some of you listening, maybe personal trainers may also be yoga teachers and have a CPT um, like I do and a CES like I do. In that world, they use the squat test as an assessment. And so what is a squat? You know, you can kind of say it's chair pose. They also do postural assessments, which look for the five kinetic chain checkpoints is how they call it. Uh, alignment in, in exercise science. And so if we say five kinetic chain checkpoints in exercise science, what's the facsimile or what's the equivalent in yoga? It's standing in Tadasana and assessing someone's posture. Is their head aligned over their shoulders? Are their shoulders over their hips? Are their hips level? Are their feet hip width distance apart with their knees straight ahead? Do they have good alignment from hip to heel? Do they have an exaggerated um, uh, lordosis in the lumbar spine? Do they have uh, shoulders caving forward or, you know, kind of rounding of the shoulders? So there are a lot of things you can determine. And remember, at the beginning of the session with someone, especially you've never seen before, you need to establish a baseline, you know, and if their baseline is they have the arms falling forward and the chin jutting forward, that's something you're going to want to make note of. And so the first session is not the time for you to be whipping this person through the yoga paces. <laughs> the first session is going to be really important for you to get baseline knowledge of what this person's static posture looks like. Next thing, think of poses as individual building blocks rather than trying to put them back to back in a sequence. This kind of falls back to what I just said. In these sessions, they're working with you privately. So guess what? you are no longer constrained by having the scenario that most of us have when we teach public classes, which is people come, you teach a sequence, it's 60 minutes or you know, an hour and 15, and they leave. Now you're seeing people privately. So guess what? You can have conversation. You can get an update on how they're doing. You can get an update on how the pain is or how the injury is doing. You can teach a little bit of myofascial release. You can teach a little bit of exercise band work. You can do a little sequencing, but in chunked out things. Maybe you do a bunch of lunges. Maybe you do you know, a bunch of balances. All of that is customized to meet their needs. And keep in mind the sequencing you create, and I say sequencing, but it's just like I said here, think of poses as individual building blocks rather than putting them back to back in a 60 minute sequence. So think if you were gonna do a bunch of balances for someone who had um, some kind of foot injury, think about what are they trying to increase their functional movement for? Are they an athlete? What sport? Are they a mom? 
what kinds of activities of daily living, what does their day look like? Do they have a toddler? Do they have a baby? Do they have, you know, an older child? Like all those things have tremendous impact on their functional movement. Someone walking around with a baby is looking for, you know, potentially different ankle and foot support than someone who's got an older kid that they don't have to carry anymore. So, you know, these are all reasons why working with people privately is, is an opportunity to customize what you offer to really help that person build the functional movement you want them to have uh, and they want to have to live the best life possible, right? Rather than what they'll get in a group class, which is the same vanilla thing everybody else is getting, which is why private yoga can be so amazing and amazingly beneficial for students. You just need to share the value, the potential value of what you could offer so that you, I don't want to say convince people, but so that you accurately make the distinction for them between the benefit they're going to get from private sessions versus continuing to practice at home or just waiting for the studios to open. Uh, okay, so the next thing, provide tons of modifications and use props generously. I'm talking blankets, straps, two blocks, you know, use, use that and use a lot of modifications, you know, in exercise science, they say regress things or progress them. So, you know, you're doing crescent lunge. How about drop that knee? You're doing a bunch of warrior ones and warrior twos. How about just doing from standing? Don't have them go up and down, especially if they have one of those other conditions I was talking about before. So again, the sky's the limit. You're working with one person. You can highly customize it. So, you know, use a lot of props in a lot of poses, do a lot of modifications so you can really meet them where they're at. So we've got two more things. Um, be sure the client is giving you feedback along the way so you have a sense of how they're doing. Be aware of clients who are very active and for whom injury might be seen as something to push through and how this may affect the lack of feedback you're getting during the session. So this is not a scenario where you want the client to suck it up, to work through pain. You want to keep checking in with them. How's it feeling, you know, as they're moving through? Um, you want to send them an email after they leave. Thanks for coming. Please send me an email within the next 24 to 48 to 72 hours. Let me know if you have any, you know, problems, post-session, swelling, pain, discomfort of any kind, can't sleep at night, anything along those lines. You want to keep the communication lines open so that you get really good feedback from them regarding, you know, how, how yoga affected them. Uh, and then end the session with a long rest and time for you to check in with the client as to how they feel. So, you know, that kind of goes without saying, I think, especially for your type A um, people, your athletes that are coming to you because they want to get back on the road as soon as possible in terms of, you know, on the road, on the field, whatever it is, you know, just make sure that they are taking appropriate time at the end to kind of bring their BP down, their heart rate down, you know, get back to baseline before they hop in their car and drive home. So we've come to the end of this, you know, kind of subject matter. I would love to know what you think. And, you know, I want to kind of throw out something, um, something kind of unique. This is probably like the first time uh, that you've ever heard of something like this, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I listened to somebody else's podcast. And one of the things that, um, that they offer is a telephone number where you can call and leave a message and, um, and leave a question, leave a question for the podcast. And I thought that that was such a cool, um, such a cool feature because many times, you know, certainly as a podcast host, I am always looking for questions from my listeners. And as much as I get to the end of every episode and I say, Hey, leave a question, DM me, you know, uh, uh, email me. I don't, I don't really get a lot of response. Matter of fact, you know, I probably, I don't know. Every once in a while, somebody will email me and say, Hey, you know, here's a question I have. It's not that I'm looking for kudos. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not saying write a review. And, you know, of course I'd love for you to write a review if you like the podcast. It's more that I want to make sure that, um, if you have questions, when you listen to these episodes, that you have a channel to get those questions out there. And I have a way to hear the question and respond to it. And so 
I know for me, when I listen to podcasts, even when somebody says at the end of their uh, podcast episode, write a review, it's kind of challenging because either I'm driving or for whatever reason, you know, I have to kind of be somewhere where I'm sitting still so I can pull up my iPhone and open up their podcast and go to the write a review part. So at the end of the day, I want to give you a way to get a question to me in the easiest way possible. And believe it or not, I think texting is probably the easiest way these days to communicate with people. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my personal cell phone number and I want you to um, text me if you have a question about anything that came up today. So here's how you're going to do it. You're going to write my email down. I'm sorry, my phone number down. And when you text me, you're just going to say, this is Karen. I listened to your podcast. I have a question about this episode that you just did regarding injuries. Uh, I'm sorry, regarding seeing private students with injuries. Here's my question. And I can read it on the next uh, episode and answer your question live because I bet your question is the same as a whole bunch of other people. So, you know, kudos to people who actually do this. I'm asking this. Kudos to people that actually do it, take the time to do it. Because number one, it means you're actively learning. And um, number two, it means you're contributing to not only your growth, but the growth of everybody else who is going to listen to your, your question. And I don't want to say my answer, but you know, just the discussion that will naturally ensue. So get ready. Here's my cell phone number, 617-803-8088. Now don't call me because if you call me, uh, I may or may not pick up and, you know, I, it's going to be harder if I have a voicemail. So just send me a text, just send me a text. Here's my question. I listened to your podcast, the episode on blah, blah, blah. Here's my question. And, um, and I'll read it on the next episode. I would love, love, love for you guys to do that. So, you know, and this is all part of me closing the loop. You know, I'm sitting here doing this podcast episode. You're not here. You can't ask questions. So by doing this, you'll make it more of a back and forth conversation and, you know, you'll get more out of it. You'll get more out of it. So that's that. So a couple of things I want to close with. This is the last week that you can enroll in my one day mentorship program. And I'm going to post the link to that on this episode page as well. So when you get the download from this episode, also take a look at the offer page for that. It's a one day mentorship intensive. So you know, basically imagine if you devoted one day to your growth as a teacher, what could you accomplish? If you kind of put everything else going on in your life to the side for one day, you could probably accomplish a ton, probably more than you think in terms of your growth as a teacher. You could learn some anatomy. You could come up with a little bit of a business plan. You could work on your cueing. You could work on sequencing. You could get some feedback on your teaching itself. You know, you could ask a ton of questions about anatomy that you have that you've just never gotten around to figuring out where the answer lies, you know, and rather than looking them up on Google, why not work through them, you know, with, with, with me. So my one day mentorship intensive is really designed to be something that people can easily fit into their schedule because it's one day. And because it's only one day and my mentorship is typically six months, it's a very cost-effective way to do it. Now, it is a paid program. So for those of you out there that are just not ready to spend any money to um, continue your, your education and your knowledge, that's okay, right? That's okay. That's why I do stuff like my podcast, which is totally free. Give out my phone number, have downloads, all that stuff. However, if you're ready to take the next step and actually invest some money right? Teachers invest all money all the time in, in typical programs that are hours based. And then, and then they find out that those programs don't always meet their needs. So again, this is a chance for you to do something that's really customized to you. When you go to a 300 hour training or a 500 hour training, that's not always customized to you. It can't be because there's a bunch of people there. But when you work in my program that I'm talking about now, which is a one day mentorship intensive, it's just you. You're the only person there. So whatever you want to get out of it, I can customize it to meet your needs. So what better investment for you to make in yourself 
as a teacher than that. I can't even, I can't really think of another one, right? Because this is highly customized. So when you go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and you look up the podcast episode for this podcast episode, or look, look at the podcast page, you'll see this episode, you'll see two links, the PDF you download, and the one day mentorship intensive, you only have until Friday to sign up. And you can take a look at that offer. I'm sure right now you're all kind of thinking how much does it cost? How much does it cost? Don't think of it as cost. Yeah, it's cost. But guess what? When you spend money on yourself, you feel great, because you know that you believe in yourself and you can invest in yourself with the knowledge that it's a program that's going to help you. And if you're worried, like, I'm not sure it can help me. I'm not sure I'm ready. That's okay. Just let me know. And I'm happy to talk uh, to you and answer any questions you have. And then you can decide further. Sometimes these things don't always, uh, uh, they aren't always crystal clear in the moment. And it just takes a little conversation, but please don't discount it because it's not quote unquote free. Anything that's free is only going to get you so far in your development as a teacher. And you know that most of you listening are 200 hour teachers. You paid money for that. So this is, you know, similar in that, you know, one of my, one of my mentors on the business side says the, and this is actually something one of my original yoga teachers said, the transformation is in the transaction, right? If you're looking to transform on any level, there needs to be a transaction. Because free stuff is really, it's okay when you're dabbling, but when you're done with dabbling and you're really ready to make the kinds of shifts that I know many of you want to make, you stop dabbling and you start doing. And when you start doing, you usually, along with that comes an investment of some kind. And when I say investment, I don't mean investing in the stock market. I mean, you investing in you. And that's, what happens to invest in you, you pay for something, you pay for something that's going to help you grow. So that's the end of the episode here. If you are still listening, I give you a huge shout out. I see you. I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, don't forget, text me your question. And um, I would love to read it on, uh, on the next episode. So thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next episode. Have a good week. See you soon. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my Mentorship Program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.